a reading from the prophet Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and release to prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit. They will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord to display his glory. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastation of many generations. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. I will faithfully give them their recompense, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants shall be known among the nations, and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them shall acknowledge that they are a people whom the Lord has blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My whole being shall exult in my God. For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with a garland, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its shoots, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to spring up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring up before all the nations. The word of the Lord. A reading from 2nd Peter, oh, pardon me, 1st Thessalonians. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God and Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise the words of prophets, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good, abstain from every form of evil. May the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. May your spirit and your soul and your body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful. He will do this. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. And this is the testimony given by John when the Jewish leaders sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? John confessed and he did deny it, did not deny it, but confessed, I am not the Messiah. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? John said, I am not. Are you the prophet? John answered, no. And then they said to him, who are you? Let us have an answer for those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And John said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now, they'd been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, why then are you baptizing if you are neither the Messiah nor Elijah nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water. 
Among you stands one whom you do not know, the one who is coming after me. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandal. This took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. The Gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. I wish for you a joyful Rose Sunday. This is our third Sunday in Lent, and you know, in the world we would call this pink, but because we're in church, we need extra vocabulary, so we call it Rose. This is meant to be, you'll hear it in some other places, Marian Sunday, because we sang the Magnificat. You'll hear it in other places called Refreshment Sunday, because in a sort of a dark time outdoors, and quite honestly, as our Advent journey asks us to prepare the way of the Lord once again in rough places, both in our world and honestly in our lives and our relationships, that work can be tiring. Think through that work, right? Last two weeks ago in Advent 1, we were asked to cultivate new hope, hope with a capital H, not to be confused with what we want but with God's imagination for the world. Tough work. Last week, we were asked to cultivate peace. Not stillness or quiet. That's what we settle for, for peace. Just give me some peace and quiet, we tell our children, which means go to your room. No, uh, No, what our children know well, right, is that if peace is the opposite of war, and it is, then peace is the opposite of destruction, which is about creation. Tough work, creating something new in places that have been destroyed. Tough for me, anyway. And so today, we look for some refreshment. And spoil alert, this is probably the most dour sermon on joy you're ever going to hear. <laughs> Um, unlike hope, you know, the neat thing about joy is that, is that we have different words, you know, and, and unfortunately, I think my tendency and, and our cultural tendency is to equate joy with happiness and excitement. Do you enjoy that dinner? It was lovely. It was pleasing. I liked it. These are the kinds of things that we say, right? Enjoyment is like liking something. And I've become more and more sure that happiness and joy can't possibly be the same thing, which is extremely disappointing for me. (laughs) Uh, And I'd like you to invite, I'd invite you to consider the difference. You know, I am very good at being happy until I do something that adversely affects myself, like stub my toe. When I stub my toe, my happiness is over. Um, when I get a phone call that I didn't want, my happiness is over. When I come home and I'm not greeted the way I wanted to by my child or spouse or when my parents are visiting them, my happiness can be over. 
Happiness seems to me to be extremely dependent upon outcomes. And that's a tough thing about happiness, is that no outcome, no matter how good it is, is really going to last. Here are some things that would make me happy. (laughs) They would make me happy for my teenage son to graduate high school with a high GPA. It would make me really happy to come home and have my wife drop everything and say, I've been waiting for you to come home all day. It would make me really happy to have my parents say, you have exceeded our expectations for you. (laughs) The truth is, as happy as those things would make me, the happiness they offer would be so short-lived because we all know after high school, college, job, what'll be the next thing I need my son to do to give me happiness? You know, my wife might be really happy to see me come home until she sees me put my paper down on the table (laughs) and then she won't be happy again until I pick it up. And there it goes. And it may be great to know I exceeded my parents' expectations unless I learned that they were really low. (laughs) And there goes happiness, and this is the problem with happiness. I have never been happy apologizing to somebody. Apologizing is important. Repenting is important. But friends, we all know we're not happy when we do it. I had a professor in seminary who said that joy, and this was his interesting definition, repentance is joyful sorrow. Joyful sorrow. There's no such thing as happy sorrow. That's just too oxymoronic. I think joy is this thing that is very difficult for us, but frankly better than we often settle for because it's not dependent upon outcomes. It's dependent upon what we put in. I wonder if that isn't part of our Lenten invitation as we try to make the way of the Lord straight in the rough places of our lives as to focus really on the kind of joy that God has, what God is putting into the world and into our lives, and then what we're called to put in as well. So consider this reading from Isaiah. It does not make me happy. (laughs) I just want you to know. This ends up being Jesus' first sermon, according to the Gospel of Luke. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. God has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners. That's really fantastic stuff. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then Jesus stops right there and says, Today the scriptures have been fulfilled in your hearing. And he missed this word that's all about happiness for me. And the day of vengeance of our God. Let me tell you, vengeance makes me so happy. (laughs) When people get what they deserve, I am so happy. (laughs) Not me. I'm talking about everybody else, right? (laughs) When my children and my parents and the people I work with and the people I interact with in the neighborhood, when they get what they deserve, I am so happy. 
because then the world is a logical place and bad people get punished and good people like me get rewarded. Makes me very happy. It's just not very joyful. And notice what the scriptures do, that frankly, I, I hate that they do this, you know? They threaten my happiness all the time. The vengeance of our God is to comfort all who mourn. I thought it was to punish people who deserve punishment. To provide for those who mourn in Zion and give them a garland instead of ashes. To proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners. Doesn't sound like vengeance to me. It sounds like forgiveness or something. But Isaiah says this is what God's vengeance looks like. God's vengeance looks like reconciliation. God's vengeance looks like forgiveness. God's vengeance looks like social justice and redemption. Maybe that's why I keep missing joy in my life. Because that's not what my vengeance looks like at all. My vengeance looks like getting more than even and rubbing it in. John says something similar. John goes out into the wilderness baptizing people with water and you know no one seems to really understand why he's doing that. I'm not really sure I do either. They send people and they say, John, you know, why are you doing this? Who are you? Are you this person? Are you the Messiah? Are you the prophet? Are you Elijah? No, 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 no. No, I'm the one who is baptizing you with water. Water is this interesting thing, you know. We've kind of made peace with water until, until September, and that's really a good image of what water often means in the Bible. The uh, Bible has this really conflicted relationship with water symbolically. Honestly, water is chaotic. It's often really bad, difficult to trust. It can do really evil things, like Hurricane Harvey. And John says, I am baptizing you in chaos. I am plunging people underneath chaos. That is not a happy image. Happiness would be if you took all that away from my life. John says, I am putting you under there on purpose and you can be drawn out. This is what I'm doing. I'm saying life is lived submerged in chaos in so many ways. And God's not there to take sorrow away from us, but to fill our sorrow with God's presence. That is not happy. It's almost like John's saying, I'm intentionally putting you through chaos symbolically because you will continue to live it. And the reason I'm doing it is because God has not abandoned you in the chaos. God will be there with you. John goes on to say, one greater than I am is coming. We didn't get it in the reading this week. He continues to say, he will baptize you with fire and with the Holy Spirit. Baptism with water, I think that sounds a lot better to me than baptism with fire. Fire in the Bible, though, is another image we usually get wrong. It's not about torment. 
It's about destruction. Destruction of impurity. The one who comes to baptize with fire will refine the metal in us. Will melt away the dross so that we can be clean and pure. Will melt away happiness so that we can rest Enjoy. I know it's such a terrible thing to say. God is not interested in our happiness. God's interested in our joy. And friends, that's a little disappointing to me because I often make the mistake of choosing to be happy instead of joyful. It's a mistake because happiness doesn't last. And happiness is about what I want. Happiness is about an outcome. It's about me being in control. It's about when I say hello to you that you return my greeting because that validates me. I say hello to people (laughs) in the neighborhood. Even if I'm jogging, I wave at cars. I don't know why I do this, uh, particularly because there's like two people who never return my greeting. Sometimes I pretend they didn't hear me and am louder the second time and then demonstrably louder visually and physically the third time like, good morning! It makes me very unhappy that that doesn't work either. (laughs) They figured out how to make me unhappy, these folks. How sad that I look for happiness when I greet people instead of looking for joy. How sad that instead of just wishing them a good morning, I need them to say something back to me. I think this is the difference between happiness and joy. I really do. I mean, think about this in the if you've ever been in a relationship with, your, with parents or kids, so I think that's everybody, you sort of get this, that it is so tempting to focus on outcomes. It's so tempting to say, I'll be happy when this happens, or you've done what I want and I'm happy now. And what a precarious line to walk that is, instead of to say, God, I trust you. God, I trust that when I put my life into a relationship, that that will not go away. God, I trust that when I sow love and hope and peace, that those are eternal things, even if I cannot see them blossom in my own lifetime. I wonder if joy isn't about that trust, trusting that if we sow those things, We may not see them bloom the way we wanted, but that our sowing was not in vain. I wonder if that isn't the Advent offering here, is that God is much more concerned with what we put in than we are. God is concerned with whether we will invest our life in other people, especially 
when it's hard. Now, I wish I had a happy story to tell you that after a year of saying hello to this lady on the bicycle, she one day said, you know, it's meant the world to me that you've said hello to me every morning. And I haven't answered, but you know, I was in tears last night thinking how cruel I'd been. And, and you're, just, you're just God incarnate. She's never done that. <laughs> and I don't think she will. And isn't that the point? This is what John says. I'm not the savior. I'm just making the way. And when I say hello to people in the morning, I'm not their savior. And when I invest my life in my son and my daughter, I'm not their savior. I'm their father. And when I invest my life in my wife, I am not her savior. I'm her husband. And when I invest my resources in children at McWhorter, I am not their savior. I gave them a backpack. I wonder if that isn't our invitation to joy, is to join John in saying, I'm not the one, but I will make the way straight, and I'll do it by focusing what I put in, even though only God knows when it's going to come out the way God imagined. I told you, probably the most disappointing sermon on joy you've ever heard. And even more disappointing is you have exactly one week to cultivate joy in your life before I'm going to ask you to cultivate love. Sigh of relief. We'll do this again next year. (laughs) You'll get another chance. This week I invite you to sow the seeds of joy in your life by saying, God, I'm going to trust that if I put my life into these people and these places, you, you will be glorified and that my life and their life will somehow be bigger. Amen.